Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for a full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the Jews to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. What is psychologically of great relief to cancer patients is when I say to them, okay, you've been through your treatment now, now our conversation shifts from talking about disease to talking about health. Having a cancer diagnosis is a great opportunity and gateway in your life to really engage in self-reflection and self-inquiry. I encourage patients to reframe what is a very stressful diagnosis into something that is very transformative for them. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I have Dr. Melanie Shulkoff joining me. She's the creator of Outsmart Cancer System and founder of Integrative Cancer Answers, an online resource for patients and families whose lives have been touched by cancer. She's the author of the bestseller book, 32 Ways to Outsmart Cancer, How to Create a Body Where Cancer Cannot Thrive. Dr. Chilkoff is recognized as an expert in integrative cancer care and immune enhancements worldwide. She will share some of the pearls of Chinese medicine that she has used for over 30 years with thousands of patients who have faced a cancer diagnosis and shed light on Chinese medicine fits into a comprehensive integrative cancer care plan. Dr. Shokoff, so glad to have you on the show today. How are you? Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so happy to have you on here. Obviously, cancer care and cancer in general is very dear to me as I was diagnosed with uh, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma six years ago. And I wish I'd have known you back then because I would have uh, <laughs> sought you out. But uh, fortunately, I'm in remission, you know, in five years from now. I've been in, yeah, five years, exactly. And uh, I just would like to get some information and to, uh, for our listeners so that anyone who is interested or wanted to reach out or anyone who is suffering from cancer and have questions, it would be just great to have this podcast available for them. So thank you. 
I really want to find out, you know, how you as a provider developed your niche into integrative cancer care. Well, you know, there's always a, a personal story behind a lot of our life choices of we have that we didn't necessarily plan for ourselves. But both of my parents um, suffered from cancer diagnoses in their 50s. And so I got really interested in cancer, thinking that our family had a lot of genetic susceptibility because both my parents early in life. And the good news is neither of them died of cancer. My mom died at 88, my dad at 90 of cardiovascular disease. So um, people should really understand like yourself that cancer is not necessarily a death sentence. And I think that a lot of people have that fear and and think of it that way. But uh, it's really a, a uh, metabolic challenge. And in some people, it's a chronic illness. And in some people, it's completely resolvable, as in your case. But really, what's most important is to have a health model when you have cancer uh, in your family or, or as a personal diagnosis. Because in oncology, the the model doesn't even have health in the conversation in a, in a cancer clinic. But what patients want is an outcome of health. Nobody wants to be cancer-free. They want to be healthy. And so to get your life back and to feel like you have control over the trajectory of what's going to happen to you is very important. So you really need a team. You need your disease experts, your oncology team, but you also need health experts on your team. If you're going to have health while you go through challenging treatments and in uh, support of resilience and the capacity to cope with something most people are not really prepared for. And so I just got to see my parents go through that firsthand and really took a deep dive into what does it take to go through that, come out the other side and be able to feel fully recovered and not live with ongoing anxiety that you're just waiting, maybe you'll have a recurrence. So we want to have a health model. And Chinese medicine is one of those beautiful systems that I think is like the original preventive medicine model, really, and that has a beautiful, balanced view of health and a, a very large toolbox. Yeah, I love that. And I really want to go deeply into Chinese medicine and what it offers. But I think just as a nice overview, would you be able to describe what the philosophy of Chinese medicine entails? Well, Chinese medicine arises out of two Chinese philosophical traditions. It arises out of Taoism, which is really based on observing nature to understand ourselves and our lives and the universe. And it also arises out of Confucianism, which was later in Chinese history. And Confucianism was about, uh, there's a terminology called the upright man or the upright woman, which was about ethics. And so Chinese medicine combines these two philosophical views or lenses and is very much about coming into harmony with nature, coming into balance. The, the core of Chinese medical philosophy is where's the center? Where's balance? In what way are you out of balance and how do you come back to balance? And so that's philosophy, but also looking at things through the elements and 
the temperature and the texture of things. So it's very, all the metaphors of Chinese medicine are very familiar to us because they're about nature and life and things we know about. And so that's one piece of it. But also Chinese medicine is about uh, looking deeply within ourselves. And so every aspect of Chinese medicine looks at uh, a couple of layers. There's a, um, something we call the three treasures in Chinese medicine. So there's the qi, which, and these are things we don't have English words for, um, but qi is like the, the vitality of life, what makes something alive as opposed to inert and, and dead. So the difference between a piece of wood and a living tree, for example. And so qi is the vitality, the vital energy of life. We look at that. We also look at the shen, which is uh, translated as spirit, but it really means our psychological, emotional, and and the way that we, we meet ourselves in the world with our emotions and our psyche. And then there's the Jing, which there's not even a Western idea for, but it, it can be like the essence of life and what, what makes us in relation to things larger than ourselves. And so we can also think of it in the way we think of genetic potential and, and how we have a great potential within us and we have to decide what we're going to express. And so all of these things are looked at in Chinese medicine. And so every time that you have an acupuncture treatment and the needle goes in, it's touching the qi, the shen, and the jing all at, at once. And every time you uh, take an herbal medicine, it's, a, it's touching all these parts. So it's a very truly holistic view. And there's also a very beautiful philosophy about what's the role of the doctor in Chinese medicine. And so there are these ideas of the superior physician, the mediocre physician, <laughs> And But the superior doctor is the doctor whose patients are well. And so that's a very beautiful model that doesn't even exist in modern medicine, really. And our, our health model is a pathology model, a disease-focused model. And really what is psychologically of great relief to cancer patients is when I say to them, okay, you've been through your treatment now. Now our conversation shifts from talking about disease to talking about health. And so that sort of self-concept of how you think of yourself, uh, having been a cancer patient, now a cancer survivor or thriver, however you think of yourself, but then it becomes, it, the conversation should become about health and how to live. And as you know, having a cancer diagnosis is a great opportunity and gateway in your life to really engage in self-reflection and self-inquiry and look at your values and what's really important to you. And so I encourage patients to reframe what is a very stressful diagnosis into something that is very transformative for them. Indeed, yes. And, and that's and it comes to a question of how this differentiates from Western medicine, how we know it, and can we combine the two to enhance the benefits of both philosophies for the betterment of the patient? Well, of course, because um, everyone is looking for meaning. <laughs> and so uh, that's probably why we both went into healthcare also, because every day that we make a difference in someone's life is a good day. And so 
My whole life's mission, my professional mission is to prove that a collaborative model is better for the patient, but it's better for the doctor too, because if your patients do better, then that's more rewarding, but it also means that you are getting to see people do well. And so my experience has been, I've been in practice for over 35 years, and so I have a lot of relationships with oncologists now. And what is true is that the patients who receive support for their health and have an integrative collaborative team do better. You don't, you don't have to say anything once the, the oncologist can see that patients that uh, have support for their nutrition, have support for their coping, have support for their immune system, have support for repairing tissue damaged by the treatments are going to do better. And they do better psychologically and spiritually as well. I totally agree with you. I mean, that's kind of what I was looking for when I was trying to seek treatment and they didn't really have a team approach. And my background is a physical medicine and rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. That's my background. And when we work with patients who are come to the rehab facility after undergoing a stroke or, or some sort of debilitating disease processes, what we do is we have a team that employs the physician, the physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech therapist, psychologists, and the nursing And so it's a team approach and I've always ingrained that into everything that I do. And I really feel that Western medicine, you know, some parts of Western medicine has that team approach, but having a team approach is so essential because not one person has all the answers and has the wisdom to help heal the person. And so that's why now you need an acupuncturist on your team. (laughs) Yes, 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 that is true. That is very true. Before we go into talking about acupuncture, which is, which is really important, I wanted to understand what traditional Chinese medicine is and how that differs from modern Chinese medicine? Really important question because, you know, Chinese medicine has a a tradition of many thousands of years. And so there are very a lens that we look through from the traditional framework of Chinese medicine that has nothing to do with modern science. And then there's modern Chinese medicine, which is based on research. And so I like to combine the two because the traditional way of looking at a human being uh, through uh, the lens of Chinese medicine is really useful to understand that person very deeply and to make sure that we have a plan that is building health from the bottom up. And that's a fundamental tenet of Chinese medicine. There's what we call constitutional treatment in Chinese medicine, meaning, you know, where are the weak links in your system? And if we shore those up, no matter what happens, no matter what's on your plate, you're going to do better. And so there are kind of two main foundations that we look at. One is called saving the earth, which is to fix the digestive system and the microbiome and to make sure people can digest their food and absorb it and have a a healthy gut. So, And that also is true in modern naturopathic medicine. That's a big focus. But if you can't benefit from good nutrition, it doesn't matter what we give you orally if your digestion isn't isn't working and you don't have good absorption and elimination. So um, that is fundamental. We always put that in the in the plan. And then there's the save the the water element or save the kidney school. And that really um, 
is the way we think about stress resilience and the way that we meet life challenges. And so we look at both these aspects of the patient at, at the beginning to see what do we need to address there so that whatever else we need to do will be successful. So that's really important. And so that's more of a traditional view, but it's really vital to the success of treatment, you know, just as a framework. And then in modern Chinese medicine, we have the opportunity to understand when we use an acupuncture point, does it increase white blood cells? Does it decrease the stress hormone? Does it regulate the sleep cycle? Um, uh, or when we use an herbal medicine, does it uh, have an epigenetic effect and turn on a gene that's a cancer suppressor gene? And so we have modern science to help us make our selection of acupuncture points and herbal medicines and uh, food therapies, as well as the traditional view. And um, Chinese medicine is such a poetic, beautiful, elegant system. And so uh, I often spend a lot of time telling people stories from nature and using nature metaphors to help them understand uh, where they are in their process and, and how we're going to proceed. And, and people can understand that. So one of the fundamentals of working with cancer is to think about the cancer terrain. And that's like the soil in a garden. If you change the soil, you change what grows there. And we want beautiful flowers and healthy fruits. We don't want a bunch of weeds. And so we want to tend that garden and change the biosystem, uh, that ground, that fundamental ground of physiology so that it can respond in a way that leads to resolution and healing. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. And then one of those aspects of Chinese medicine is acupuncture. And so could you briefly describe like what acupuncture is and how it works and specifically like how it can be utilized for people who are suffering from cancer? So I do acupuncture uh, on all of my patients during their cancer journey. And, you know, at the beginning, acupuncture is useful for the anxiety that comes with the diagnosis and the stress of it all. But uh, acupuncture is a beautiful and elegant technology. So it's, it's based on the idea that we can impact the chi, our vital life energy, and that we can direct it and, and nourish it and balance it. And so uh, on the body, there are pathways called meridians. These are energy pathways. And on those meridians, there are acupuncture points that have distinct 
energetic and physiologic functions. So, uh, for example, there are points for calming the spirit and nourishing the heart, which is how we treat anxiety and sleep disorders. And, and, um, but for the cancer patient, we want to be able to help them to have normal digestion and elimination. We want to help them to sleep better. We want to uh, support robust immunity. Many cancer patients suffer from uh, side effects such as a decrease in red and white blood cells. There are points that directly impact that. Uh, and, and these are wonderful things because oncologists are not too skillful at managing side effects. So by managing side effects, then the patient can complete their treatment successfully and also feel well while they're doing that. Acupuncture is, it can actually treat anything you would go to your family physician for or your internist for. It, it's a very broad and and flexible kind of a, a therapy. So uh, we'll use it for, say, women going to menopause from having their ovaries removed or their their uh, the chemotherapy suppresses their ovaries and they start to have hot flashes uh, and, and mood changes. Then we can use acupuncture for that. Uh, there's uh, actually some modern studies on uh, head and neck cancer patients losing the ability to produce saliva from radiation to the head and neck. And there's a point uh, in near the ear that actually causes uh, the saliva to, to be restored. Things that conventional medicine can't do or after a surgery, if you're um, unable to be discharged from the hospital because your bells aren't moving. And so there are points that can kickstart your bells so that you can have normal elimination, you get to go home from the hospital. And so there's really all, all kinds of things. So if you think of any system of the body, then we can use acupuncture to support that. But during treatment, I um, do a, a really nourishing, tonifying treatment on everyone to support all of the organs and then whatever specific to that patient, if they're having pain or if they're having sleep disruption or if they're having terrible diarrhea, or if they're having neuropathy, whatever's going on. And then afterwards, then we go back to building up those foundations of saving the earth and saving the, the, the kidney chi so that you can come uh, back into your life from a really strong place. And, uh, you know, there are long-term uh, side effects that we have to deal with. And so one of the most common is cancer-related fatigue, cancer treatment-related fatigue. 80% of all cancer patients complain of that. And after treatment, 40% of cancer patients will complain of fatigue for up to 20 years after a successful treatment. So uh, there's a, a physician at UCLA, Dr. Patty Gans, who's devoted her, her uh, research to studying cancer-related fatigue. And so uh, we can use acupuncture with these patients. Interestingly enough, the main cause of that fatigue is ongoing inflammation. That's the main cause. There are other reasons like um, low red blood cell counts that are long-term effect of certain chemotherapy. But it's this ongoing low level of chronic inflammation that causes this fatigue to persist. And we actually think that's why COVID patients uh, who have had cytokine storms also have persistent fatigue is because mm. of inflammation's still brewing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so we can use acupuncture and Chinese herbs and dietary therapies to manage that and resolve that. So um, pretty much anything that comes up in the human experience in medicine, there is a way to approach it with Chinese medicine. Acupuncture is a part of that. Uh, and a, really a larger part of Chinese medicine is herbal medicine and food therapies. And then Chinese medicine also includes uh, some physical techniques called Twina, which is a kind of body work. And also uh, the martial arts like Tai Chi, Qigong are part of Chinese medicine. And so a Chinese trained doctor has to actually understand how to manage their own Qi, right? And so you have to be a practitioner of Tai Chi or Qigong or meditation to actually become a, a Chinese doctor. So it's a different kind of training. <laughs> no, it absolutely, it right? absolutely is. And it's fascinating how ancient this, this system is and how elaborate it is. And when you look and compare, it's just got so much history compared to Western medicine. And it's just so profound with all the different types of mind-body healing that it offers. And uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of where I feel how Western medicine needs to take a shift so that we address you know, not the symptoms, but the whole body and get to the root cause of the issue, which I feel that Chinese medicine uh, really does well. Yeah, that's just the framework is to to understand where the root is. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you don't treat the branches where the symptoms are, but you understand that your job is to resolve the root mm-hmm. cause. Yeah. And with acupuncture, when it's performed, is there any worry about having an impact or interaction with some of the chemotherapy or other types of treatments that cancer patients are receiving? Um, acupuncture can be done throughout the, the treatment cycle. Herbs have uh, interactions because they have drug-like effects. So you know, that's more complex. But uh, the only contraindication to acupuncture is if someone has very, very low neutrophils or very low white blood cells, and there might be a risk of infection by breaking the barrier of the skin. But uh, I have actually never seen that. You know, it's really kind of amazing that I have, I've been doing acupuncture for 35 years. I've never seen an infection at an insertion site of an acupuncture point. That's ever. Wow. I've That's never, amazing. ever. And amazing. so there's something about putting the needle in that actually causes a res- local response that, that is protective. Mm-hmm. And you were just mentioning about herbal medicine. And a lot of people have this, I don't know, this, this sense that herbal medicine that's Chinese medicine based, you know, has some contamination and is not really true medicine because it's tainted somehow. Can you, can you address that and then also talk about how, how herbal medicine is used and what actually is herbal medicine when we yeah. talk about Chinese so, therapy? Every person who purchases an herb or a supplement should be an educated consumer. And, and it's really important what brands you by. And so one of the things I like to do is really uh, consider that part of my job is to educate patients if they're going to invest their money in uh, herbal medicines and nutritional supplements is to understand which brands to buy and which to avoid. And there are uh, issues with contaminants in herbal medicines that come from China. But similarly, there are companies that go above and beyond to have a pure, safe 
organic product. And so you just have to know which brands to buy or in the case of uh, medicinal Chinese mushrooms, which are widely used to uh, regulate immunity, manage inflammation, manage blood sugar, and uh, have some anti-tumor effects widely used in cancer, things like reishi mushroom, turkey tail mushroom. These are important how they're processed. And so you want a cold water processed extract and you want to use only high quality companies that assay their raw ingredients for contaminants. And so, you know, you can do that. And as China has understood what the Western market demands, they, you know, they have met that challenge. So historically, we used to get Chinese herbs with contaminated with pesticides and herbicides and even with western drugs mixed into them but that's really less and less so as they want to have a um, market that will buy their products so uh, but like anything it's similarly in nutritional supplements it does matter what the brand is so you know you want to be educated as a consumer which brands have the highest standards so that you have a pure uncontaminated product that what's on the label is actually in that bottle and Mm -hmm. so you know that's a learning curve basically and along those lines i'm sure the learning curve also includes which herbs to stay away from when we're dealing with specific cancers and specific chemotherapies. Yes. Yes. So, you know, when you have, so herbs are powerful. Herbs are very powerful. If we just step back uh, and look at plant medicine and, and a plant strong diet, then we're talking about phytochemicals, plant chemicals. Why are they so powerful? Um, For two main reasons. One is molecules from nature more readily bind to our receptors. And so, because we all evolved together. Uh, And so when you have something that's not a a synthetic molecule, but a molecule from nature, it more readily binds to our receptors and on our cell walls. And then we get more strong signals and more reliable signals. And also molecules from nature are multitaskers. They, for example, curcumin, which is the main phytochemical in uh, turmeric uh, influences over a hundred different pathways, genes, and receptors that influence cancer physiology. And there is no drug like that. And uh, it's safe to take curcumin for the rest of your life. There is no drug like that. If there was a drug we could say that about, it would be a blockbuster drug. So nature's design is uh, really useful. So when uh, you are a cancer patient, you wanna be under the care of someone who understands drug, herb, drug, nutrient interactions so that you are on a protocol that does not interfere with the plan your oncologist has for you or will not put you at risk for a blood clot or excess bleeding around surgery. Or You know, you, you wanna have an educated uh, mm-hmm. clinician who will also communicate with your oncology team so that the oncologist doesn't have to say, you can't take anything, right? And so uh, I've uh, cultivated relationships with oncologists and surgeons and radiologists so that they understand that I am not going to mess up their treatment plan for their patient. And the patient has faith and confidence that not only will there not be interference, but there actually are synergistic treatments. So we can, again, just refer to curcumin as synergistic with certain chemotherapy agents or radiosensitizes, makes radiation therapy more successful. And so 
the modern Chinese medicine is very sophisticated in that way. And there's plenty of studies that have been done that we can make educated uh, choices for our patients. So when I put a, a plan together, I think about what are the foundation nutrients that the patient needs under the unique stresses of, of having cancer and going through challenging treatments? How do we manage the side effects of those treatments to protect healthy tissue and function and keep that person well and have the least amount of side effects and then have a way to repair all of that when they're done with treatment? And then how can we make it easy for a cancer patient who doesn't feel like eating or may feel nauseous to have adequate nutrition while they go through all of this? And so I usually put a therapeutic shake in the plan too. But in Chinese medicine, there's also food therapies uh, that there's a tradition of medicinal soups and therapeutic foods. And so if you think about some of the common foods of Chinese diet, a lot of them are really powerful for cancer. So think of all the cabbage and broccoli vegetables that are in Chinese uh, meals, broccoli and bean sprouts and uh, bok choy and cabbage. And then of course in the West we eat kale a lot. And all of those cabbage family vegetables are full of a phytochemical called sulforaphanes, which impact cancer physiology at every stage of cancer development. And so if you just include those foods in your diet every day, you're giving yourself a diet that will signal the body to create an environment where cancer is not likely to thrive. So we want to create a body that's not hospitable to the development or progression of cancer. Uh, think about the onion and garlic family. That's very common in Chinese food. And also there's a high sulfur containing vegetables, which help us to detoxify, which help us to produce glutathione, the body's primary antioxidant. And then there are foods that are traditionally known for certain things like uh, lotus root is a common root vegetable in Chinese medicine that's good for the lungs. And so there are uh, ways to think about food, um, both in a modern sense, what's the phytochemical, what is its action, but also uh, are there foods that nourish particular organs? So if we want to nourish the kidneys, we think of things like black sesame seeds and, and red small beans like dookie beans. If we want to nourish the, the chi of the digestive tract, we think of yellow-orange foods like uh, baked yams and baked winter squash and baked carrot, cooked carrots, things like that. Oh, you can look at your spice shelf as a pharmacy. So th something like ginger is excellent as an anti-inflammatory. It also has um, uh, this one spicy ginger oil in it, which makes it an expectorant and also a digestive and manages inflammation. Or then you think about the great herbs of Chinese medicine, like ginseng, which can be put into a soup and make it into a medicinal soup. And so uh, Chinese uh, are so practical. They use everything. <laughs> they use everything. And so whether that's food or exercise or uh, spiritual practices or exercises or acupuncture or herbs, they're always, uh, there's always a doorway in to impacting your health in, mm -hmm. in Chinese medicine and lifestyle. It's really interesting how you address food therapies because that's not something typically you would speak to when you are seeing an acupuncturist or even for that matter, you know, a Western practitioner, oncologist. They're not going to talk to you about nutrition and how you can utilize food you know, for purposes of treatment, detoxification, 
and also in certain cases prophylaxis. And so some of the foods that you mentioned that were high in sulforaphane are so essential for us to be using on a regular basis just for preventative purposes. So I'm so happy to hear about how you implement these strategies, you know, with acupuncture, herbs, and more importantly, in my opinion, food as medicine. Well, you know, actually, uh, traditional Chinese medicine always includes food therapies. So if you are going to an acupuncturist who is trained in traditional Chinese medicine, they will talk to you about food and diet. If you go to an orthopedist who took a weekend acupuncture <laughs> class, you're not going to get that. Good point. Good point. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> For Chinese medicine in specific, I know we've been talking about how it's really good for cancer, but is it more or less it goes to the root of the problem or does it really help with cancer because it helps boost the immunity? Well, cancer is incredibly complex and that's why it's a challenge to treat. And so we need to understand uh, the nature of the, the tumor cells that a person has, but we also need to understand this terrain, this biosystem in which the cancer has been permitted to thrive. And so Chinese medicine looks at the constitution, except the whole body, and says, how do we create balance so that we have a less hospitable environment? So uh, that's one layer. Uh, but to an directly answer your question, Acupuncture doesn't directly treat cancer. Uh, acupuncture modulates the physiology. And so having a robust immune system is a key. And there are you know, many uh, traditions of, of, of boosting immunity, but zero in modern medicine, okay? Zero. So um, that's a, a hole in, in modern mm -hmm. medicine and is so crucial to the success of cancer treatments and longevity. And so, you know, when a cancer patient finishes their treatment successfully, hopefully, then their fear of recurrence lives with them, right. as you know. And so if you have something proactive that you can do to strengthen your system, then your anxiety goes way down as a cancer patient. Because when you're discharged from treatment, you know, you're, you're told, well, we hope you don't get a recurrence. And, and there's no plan for preventing that recurrence. And so that's often the time when patients become very anxious. The first time is when you're diagnosed, but then you have all this high contact with your care providers and then it ends. And then, and then what, right? Then what? So then you want someone who you can work with, who can evaluate you and follow you long-term ongoing. And so I monitor my patients for years and years and years because I have goals for what uh, I want their physiology to be. So that's um, both in the Chinese medical uh, view of a certain kind of balance and harmony, but also we do blood tests to monitor the cancer terrain and look at biomarkers that uh, are crucial to whether or not your body's going to be hospitable to cancer or not, or resistant yep. to cancer. And so um, we use uh, diet, lifestyle, herbal medicine, nutritional therapies, and acupuncture as, as a toolbox for all of that for health. So 
um, modulating immunity, managing inflammation, very important. But the things that also go into causing health, like being able to, to digest and absorb your food, being able to sleep restfully, being able to be resilient in the face of stress, all of these things are part of having health. So some patients have never been interested in health until they get a cancer diagnosis. Right. And then they have to learn that. So, you know, how we live has more impact on our health than anything in a bottle, even an herb or a supplement. So Chinese medicine is very focused on how how do we live and what is our relationship to ourselves? because sometimes that's where the healing uh, needs to happen. If you have a healthy relationship to yourself, you will make healthy choices. If you have uh, wounds that cause you to be self-destructive, then that's where the healing is. And mm -hmm. you have to learn how to take care of yourself. Or if you grew up in a family where nobody took care of themselves, nobody exercised, everybody ate junk food, you don't know what it looks like to live a healthy lifestyle or how to cook healthy food. So we have a nutritionist in our practice who teaches people how to eat the Outsmart Cancer Diet, how to implement the Outsmart Cancer Lifestyle, and how to uh, have a plan for being monitored and managed and how do you engage in a health model that isn't about only seeing the doctor when you're sick. So Chinese medicine has a beautiful tradition of at least seeing your doctor once a season so that uh, if you're tipping out of balance and you are developing at the early stages of developing some kind of a syndrome, then it's caught early. So that's the superior doctor keeping their patient healthy. You check in once a season so you stay well. And that's a big paradigm shift for patients because we are trained as patients to only seek care if something is wrong. But the only way to stay well is to see your care provider on a regular basis so they can monitor you. And then the patient learns incredible self-awareness mm -hmm. about what to pay attention to and what do their symptoms mean. And that's very empowering to people. Absolutely. And for more clarification and, and an understanding of how this works, like what would be the best route to take? So if a person has been diagnosed with cancer and they're seeing their oncologist and they're about to get started with their chemotherapy or radio or chemoimmunotherapy or you know, radiation treatments, when would be the optimal time for a patient to come see a traditional Chinese medicine specialist? And how long would you anticipate they be treated under the practitioner? And, and is it something that needs to be done ongoing even after the chemo discontinues? Um, I, here's how I think about the cancer journey. You know, there's kind of different phases of it and the needs are different and different phases. So when you're first diagnosed, it's very stressful and you're overwhelmed and you have all this unfamiliar information you're trying to sort through. And so I hope and wish that's when someone seeks care and um, is thinking about how to build their team, right? And how they're going to go through this. And, and in oncology, it's very disenfranchising and different disempowering to the patient and all of a sudden you're told okay here's your diagnosis and next week we're going to start chemo and then we'll do surgery and then after that we'll do some more chemo and after that we'll do some radiation and then we'll put you on hormonal therapy and so it's it's so overwhelming and so my first goal on the first visit is that the person walks out with less anxiety than they walked in and feels more of a sense of agency and control over what's happening and to understand that cancer is not an urgent care diagnosis cancer is a chronic illness and cancer is a long-term metabolic challenge and there's no 
hurry to start next week. And it's important that the patient feel they have the right care provider. And I encourage patients to interview more than one oncologist to make sure they have a doctor they feel comfortable with and listens to them and honors their values and their wishes for themselves. You also just need time for your psyche to catch up to what's uh, just been uh, told to you with your diagnosis and what's before you. You need time to organize your life and your kids and your business so that you can relax and go through your treatment without worrying about all of that being in chaos. And so I encourage patients to just slow down the process and tell their oncologists they're not ready to start mm -hmm. yet and to understand that when you have a, a team as the patient, you're the head of the team. Nobody can do a therapy or a treatment or procedure on you unless you give them permission. But oncologists make you feel like that's not true. Yes, they do. And so oncologists make you feel if you don't do what they say, when they say you will die. And that is not true. That is not true. And yeah. so that as part of my initial conversation with patients is slow it down, make sure the decision is yours. Mm -hmm. And psychologically, that's very, very important. Yeah, empowering the patient to make the decision is such a huge therapeutic in itself. It's, it's such important to have your own power and retain it when you make choices and decisions and not let the cancer dictate or have the oncologist that's dictate. Right. That's right. It's really important. So that's, that's you know, the first phase of the journey is all that decision making and adjusting to your new reality. The second phase of the journey is uh, being in treatment. And that's often when people come in is when they're having side effects. So um, during that phase, you know, we have a plan to, to, the plan for health starts at the beginning and goes all the way through. Uh, but then whatever's on our plate. So if you're having surgery or chemo or radiation or immunotherapy, we, we have plans to manage the side effects of those things and help you do well and get the very best results. Then the, the next phase is recovering from your treatments and dealing with the short-term and long-term side effects of cancer and cancer treatments. Um, a lot of people suffer cognitive changes in their memory and their information processing and sorting decision-making. And so along with the fatigue, those are common complaints that people have long-term that we can deal with. And, you know, the digestive tract and the microbiome have generally been knocked down by many treatments. So we want to build that back up. And then there's the category of patients in remission who are going to live long and live well and, and hopefully have a really long time before they have a recurrence or not have a recurrence at all. And so how do you do that? There's no plan for that in oncology. And then there's another population of patients who are patients who live with cancer as a chronic illness. That's the patient who is diagnosed at stage three or four, a patient who's a more advanced patient who may not be cancer-free, but they may not be ill either. And so there's being managed. And so that you frame that as if you had diabetes or as if you had high blood pressure, you have cancer as a chronic illness, you have to manage, it's not going to kill you, or it'll kill you when you're 90. And so my parents are an example of patients who recovered from their cancer, did not have recurrences and died of cardiovascular disease, but a very large population of patients, for example, breast cancer patients live a long time. And they, if you're diagnosed at a more advanced stage three or four, you may not be cured of your cancer, but it might not 
actually kill you or it might be 20 or 30 years from now <laughs> that that happens and so there's not a framework for that in oncology for patients to say okay i can manage this i can get on with my life and uh, this is something i need to understand how to live with and so uh, your question is when to come in is is hopefully at the beginning but the first time you think about it start putting together a team that includes health support and then in my view and this is the view of chinese medicine once you have a relationship with a care provider who knows you deeply understands you well you stay with that person for the rest of your life to stay healthy to stay healthy so if you're in a health model you're an ongoing long-term relationship if you're in a disease model when the symptoms go away, you stop seeking care. But that's not health. That's absence right. of symptoms. And right. so for a cancer patient, especially with the fear of recurrence, there's a high motivation to engage, a very high motivation. That's so true. And, you know, it's, and that's being proactive about your health, I think, is really important. And the way our, our healthcare system, or I call it the sick care system, works yes. is you just go in when you are feeling ill and you get, your symptoms addressed, and but the root cause is still lingering, and 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 unfortunately, the symptoms will persist or will modulate into some sort of other process that's disease oriented, okay. and it's unfortunate. And um, I, I think that we need to have a system where we're teaching people at a very young age how to eat, you know, how to take care of themselves, yeah. mindfulness yeah. practices, and you know, ha be more empowered, you know, in a sense of being able to dictate their health and understanding their bodies enough so that they can feed their bodies the right way when diseases happen, instead of just, you know, arbitrarily stuff Western diets, you know, fast foods uh, into their into their stomachs. And it's, it's understanding this whole uh, issue of how healthcare really plays an important role in our lives, not only you know, uh, on a minute-to-minute -minute basis, daily basis, but it's not something that we just turn off and turn on, you know, when we're feeling symptoms. It's being proactive on a regular basis is how I feel we can combat disease. Absolutely. And this is really about core values. Do you value health or do you not? Because if you do, you will live in a way that's congruent with that. And so once for someone who's always been healthy, when they lose their health, sometimes that's the moment where that becomes obvious to them. Mm -hmm. You take, and when you're young, you also take for granted your health. And as you Correct. get older, you understand you're more fragile and vulnerable. And so, health is a lifestyle. Health is a value system. It's a it's a way of life. And so, uh, often a cancer diagnosis is an opportunity to begin to understand that, and to understand that you, as the patient, have control over whether or not you're healthy. The doctor doesn't do very much about that in conventional medicine. And so if you, as the patient, want health, you want to be under the care of a clinician who has a health model for you that can teach you how to build your health. And I say to patients, okay, we're going to build you a new body now. We're going to rebuild your brain. We're going to rebuild your digestive function. And so that takes time, though. So the other thing that Chinese medicine is beautiful about is to help to understand the rhythm of nature because that's the rhythm at which healing occurs that is durable, all right? So 
we are trained as patients in Western medicine to think of a symptom change as all is well. But you know, the minute you stop whatever suppressive drug you're on, it all comes back. So it was a mirage that you were well. And so real health, transforming structure, transforming function, addressing root causes, changing your body, rebuilding the lining of your gut or the, the cell membranes in your brain, that takes time. And so Chinese medicine is very much about the rhythm of nature, which is why we have patients come in once a season uh, at a minimum. When they're undergoing treatment, I have people come in once a week for acupuncture. Mm. And then um, we'll continue that after they're done with treatment. And then as they get stronger, we'll go every other week and then once a month and then once a season. That's how it sort of goes. And then we want to keep them stable. Something comes up. I teach them, come in when your symptoms are whispering at you, not shouting at you. <laughs> so they learned to intervene early. And so Chinese medicine is also a medicine of early intervention. We pay attention to more subtle changes and intervene at that time. So let me give you an example in cancer with the oncologist understand something's happening, but they won't act because they're in oncology. Oncologists only treat what I call macro disease. You know, if you have a high tumor marker, if you have a mass, they'll treat you. But let's say you've completed treatment and then there's signs of microscopic disease are arising. The oncologist will not treat you at that time. They will wait until you have a mass. <laughs> and so a tumor that's three millimeters, the size of a head of a pin, has a billion cells in it a billion mm -hmm. cancer cells. That's when you should treat. And so uh, Chinese medicine and naturopathic medicine have the toolbox for that. So um, there are new technologies like looking at circulating tumor cells or looking at cell-free tumor DNA, which are the microscopic markers of cancer activity. And oncologists do not treat if those are present, but you can be treated in Chinese modern Chinese medicine and modern naturopathic medicine with the toolbox of uh, herbal medicine and nutritional therapies used in pharmacologic therapeutic ways. You can treat at that stage and that's when you should be treated. Exactly, precisely. And the other question that I had for you was, how can we find out about a licensed acupuncturist or herbalist? What's the best way to uh, research this on the internet? Well, um, every state has its own licensing board for uh, acupuncturists and doctors of Chinese medicine. So in your state, you should be able to um, find a listing of licensed clinicians, but that doesn't always lead you to the best doctor. So right. um, I have found that, you know, if you have a, a established natural food store in your community, quite often the staff there knows the best clinicians in your community. And so you want to get a known referral, ideally. And so I, I often suggest that. Um, uh, some uh, physicians have, uh, you know, nutritionists in their practice. You know, people who are health-oriented tend to know the other clinicians that are health-oriented in their community. But then as a cancer patient, you also want to inquire, you know, do you work with cancer patients? You know, have experience with that. Um, that's best case scenario. But, you know, there aren't enough clinicians who are trained in this kind of cancer exactly. care. Exactly. And so uh, even uh, just a good experienced um acupuncturists can support your immunity and help you with side effects, you know, during your treatment. And uh, so, you know, as someone is, is, is a seasoned clinician and has a, a good reputation in your community, 
you can be cared for by that person. Um, um, I also feel very strongly that, you know, any, any clinician like yourself or myself in our training, we didn't study oncology. And if you didn't specialize in oncology, you don't know very much about the needs of cancer survivors either and their unique physiology and the sequela of their treatments. And so I feel it's very important to train clinicians who are, you know, frontline primary care clinicians to understand the needs of this huge population of people in the United States one in two people will be diagnosed with some type of cancer in their lifetime. And so, and uh, two thirds of those people will live for 10 years or more after their diagnosis. So there's this giant population of people with concerns about cancer risk and cancer survival that have no one caring for them. So um, I have two, two resources. One is for patients and families. I have a website with a ton of free information. It's called integrativecanceranswers.com. And for the list, Listeners of your podcast, we actually have a gift, and I've uh, created a, a, a handout for them on how acupuncture can benefit cancer patients. And at the end of that, I also have all the herbs and supplements that I recommend for each stage of the cancer journey. So that's a gift to your listeners. And the link for that is integrativecanceranswers.com slash Dr. Nagula, D-R-N-A-G-U-L-A. And you can put that link up for your your listeners. Um, So that's a a free gift. So you can have a deeper understanding about how acupuncture can benefit you as a cancer patient and have access to the the same recommendations I make in my clinic. And then I also developed an online uh, professional training program for frontline clinicians who want to learn how to provide this kind of care. And and, uh, that's at AIIORE.com, the American Institute of Integrative Oncology. And so for clinicians who want to learn my Outsmart Cancer System, uh, I actually train, I've trained hundreds of doctors how to do this. And, um, and then the patient can learn the Outsmart Cancer System by going to my Integrative Cancer Answer website or reading my book, 32 Ways to Outsmart Cancer, How to Create a Body Where Cancer Cannot Thrive. And you can get started that way. Wonderful. This was fascinating. And thank you so much for the gift. uh, that you're providing for what you do and then the link that you provided for the listeners and myself this is just fascinating and and I know for a fact that this is going to help so many people you know whether people are in the current stage of treatment or prophylaxis or even trying to maintain their remission status so thank you so much for being on the show and taking time out of your busy schedule and uh I look forward to hopefully meeting you one day in person. Yes, yes. We'll hopefully meet at an integrative oncology conference when we get to go to them again. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. I look forward to it. Thank you so much.